Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. for downloading another episode of the thundercast follow us on twitter at thundercast underscore pod please subscribe to the thundercast youtube channel I want to bring this up again russ we've got a 600 subscriber contest going on right now all you got to do uh, to be entered in the contest is subscribe to the thundercast youtube channel we're going to pick a couple of winners and then we're going to make them some custom thundercast shirts so you'll be able to walk rock those around at herd games or just around town in general hell i don't care if you're using them to mow your grass in just as long as you get to rock that sweet logo of the thundercast russ we've got a huge week on tap uh the herd was on a bye week in football so there's no game to recap we were just looking to go 1-0 and in the bye, and I'm hoping and thinking that we did just that. But look, it's a huge weekend on tap coming up, a great opportunity to get out and really immerse yourself in herd athletics, and we're going to get into all of it. But before we do, let's get a quick word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been injured in a car wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. What happens when an Ohio driver crashes into a West Virginia driver in Kentucky? That can be a mess. But if you can dream it up, Jason and Matt have probably been there, done that, and gotten their clients paid. Don't fight the insurance companies alone. Contact Jason and Matt at 304carwreck.com. I guess the best place to start with this epic weekend ahead and some things that we've seen floating across the airwaves is for you, my friend, to give me at least five things every Herd fan needs to know this week. Here's five things every Herd fan needs to know this week. As always, brought to you by IgniteLink, the Tri-State's premier IT management team. Number one, both in things and in rankings, the soccer team, men's soccer. Top drawer soccer lists them at number one. Now, we know that later on on Tuesday, the official rankings from the the coaches will come out, but there is zero chance Marshall is not number one in those rankings, and we might even see a clean sweep for uh, number one votes. Yeah, I don't see how you can't. If you're being unbiased and you're Mm -hmm. just actually voting according to what you're seeing, Marshall is the most dominant team in the country. And honestly, it ain't really even that close. They are just absolutely smoking fools on the pitch. And some people might get a little angry at me and tell me to back up and be humble. But, dude, screw that. We're good, and I'm going to talk about it when we're good because we also talk about it when, in sports, we're not so good. And we've been striving to be that number one team. We've been edging ever closer. And we just off of the heels of a big top ten win at James Madison on the road against the then number nine team. Mm-hmm. and the soccer team was being a little humble and saying it was a hard-fought win. I watched the game. It didn't seem that, quote-unquote, hard-fought to me. It's no slight against James Madison. They're a top-ten team. Marshall's yeah. just that damn good. Yeah. They are just that damn good, and we should celebrate that. You know, the announcer, one of the two announcers during that game, said this is the best college soccer team I have ever seen. And this is a soccer announcer. And it was not our home announcer. It wasn't someone. It was the James Madison, one of the two 
said this is the best college soccer team I have seen. Uh, we um, we were the only ones in the top five that didn't have a draw or a draw and a loss mm-hmm. during this uh, this week. UCF and West Virginia both uh, drew against each other in a matchup of top five teams, both in the Sun Belt, by the way. And we had, uh, of course, uh, Stanford, who was the number one. They drew, and then they lost to unranked Washington. So, uh, to me, us being number two, whenever those rankings drop, I just cannot see any way that we're not number one. And I feel like it's probably going to be unanimous. Yeah, I do too. And let's just not gloss over this. Teams one, two, and three in top drawer soccer are Sunbelt teams. So now let's talk about the narrative of the Sunbelt being the number two soccer conference in the country. Let's put that shit to bed because I think now the Sunbelt might be the best soccer conference in the country right now. It's not just top heavy with three teams. You also have UCF, uh, not just UCF, uh, West Virginia and Marshall. You also have James Madison. You also have Kentucky, who's really dangerous. I mean, there are five, six teams that can really make some noise. And you're talking about that. It's like half of your conference are top ranked teams. Dude, the Sun Belt, in my opinion, is now, at least this year, the number one soccer conference in the country. And I don't think anybody can have a compelling argument otherwise, especially when the one, two, and three teams are Sun Belt teams. And so, more specifically, how did the epicenter of collegiate soccer land in the state of West Virginia? That's right. I mean, yeah. that's the most weird like thing that I can think of. But here we are, number one and number two in the country in the state of West Virginia. You know, growing up where I grew up in Gilbert, if you played soccer, you probably got beat up. You know, so <laughs> it, it amazes me that in this state, you know, we have the number one and number two ranked teams. Uh, and we have such a following, uh, you know, locally in in uh, high school sports and stuff like that. How big soccer has gotten yeah. in this area. It, it's crazy. Uh, but I wanted to touch on RPI is totally different. And that is what is getting ready to take over. Top drawer is just a fan driven kind of, uh, well, not fans. It's analyst driven, but right. they are not official. Right? right. And then the rankings that come out today or what are used uh much like the ap poll or the coaches poll is used and then it switches over to the actual after so many weeks well the rpi is getting ready to kick in marshall is still doing very well in rpi um i think we're third in that uh so we are moving up in that and after playing ucf this saturday and then after we play West Virginia coming up in October and we just played James Madison and we have all these other Sunbelt Kentucky still really good South Carolina all these Sunbelt teams that we're going to be playing I think our RPI will continue to go as long as we continue to handle business on the pitch yeah it's pretty telling right because they're winning rather convincingly in yes. just about every game and oh by the way you're playing one of the top schedules in the country so you're not beating up on cupcakes so to speak you're playing top tier teams and you're not only outpacing those teams you're literally running away from those teams in a lot of cases so this is just a special time in herd athletic every time that you know we get a new commitment to the soccer team i always tweet the reload continues because that's really what it feels like it's never been a rebuild it's always been a reload and who would have thought that this season would have been far and away 
talent-wise, seemingly even better than last year when you take into account how great that team was. And two years ago, you're talking about how great that team was and a national championship on the resume. Dude, it really feels like the herd's going to have a second star right now. Now, there's a lot of soccer to play, but oh, it yeah. sure as hell feels like it right now. And, and when you get in, when you get into tournament play, all it takes is uh, you know getting beat one to nothing to run on, into a team yeah, like Marshall yeah, from a few years ago. That's right. That's all it takes. So it, it is so hard, but you are right uh, with everything that's going. I mean, people are saying this team is built for this. Uh, you know, it, it just seems special. It seems like we have, I mean, heck there, there's so much that we can talk about this soccer squad, but we don't even have our second best scorer or third best scorer. One of the top three scorers didn't play the last two games. Mm -hmm. So there's just so much that we could talk about with this team, but if it stays healthy and it stays playing like it is, it just looks like a machine that, I mean, honestly, I can't imagine them getting beaten right now. Right. Uh, it, it's just crazy to me. They're also built to weather a loss and not plummet in the rankings because sure of are. how they're handling their business. And that cannot be understated. You know, you're going to have some adversity. Inevitably, you're going to have a game that doesn't go your way. You're going to have some moments during games that, really put you behind the eight ball. And if things don't go your way for a game or two this season and you're not going to plummet out of the top 25, you still remain a top five team. You still put yourself in position to dominate in the postseason. Dude, that's what it's all about. So we're going to enjoy this right now. I'm, I'm going to talk about how great this herd soccer team is, and I'm not going to be uh, like necessarily humble about it. I'm not going to be egregious and, and cocky about it, but damn, they're good. And I'm going to say they're good because they deserve to be called what they are. They're we good. Need we need to celebrate them, like you said, because they deserve to be celebrated. It's not premature. We're talking about right now in the season, this is worthy of being celebrated. Any sport that we have, yeah. when you're ranked number one in the nation, any team that we have ranked number one in the nation, they deserve all the flowers at that I point. Agree. I now agree. Now it's our time to, to hold on to that ranking. Uh, number two on our five things, homecoming has a kickoff set. It's yep. three thirty p.m. Great yep. time, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it, and that's really kind of been that historic home homecoming kick, right? Because it mm -hmm. gives people time to have their homecoming events, go to their tailgates. The university is going to be sponsoring some things to you have an opportunity to take part in that. So. It's a, it's a good kick. You don't have to be there ridiculously early like we're going to experience this weekend. You have plenty of time to tailgate. You're going to get daylight. You're going to have a daytime game. We're going to celebrate an earlier-than-normal homecoming this year, so you should mm -hmm. have better weather than normal. Of course, we don't know if it'll be raining or anything, but as far as, like, temps, it should be much more seasonal than that normal kind of chilly mid-October, late-October homecoming. So hopefully that even improves the attendance a little bit because people will be able to get out and have a good time. But 3.30 kick, I love it. The only thing left to do now is show up, show out, get loud, and beat the snot out of Old Dominion. Yeah, and speaking of Old Dominion, our opponents, we are uh, really good uh, friends with our colleagues over there on uh, the Monarchist the ODU mm -hmm. podcast. Those guys are tentatively are probably not going to make the trip. But now that the time has been set and that we're so close uh, we're under two weeks away from that. Uh, we're going to reach out to them and see if we can't have them here for Thundercast Live powered by Ignite Link to have the Monarch, uh, Monarchists there at our tailgate. Uh, 
doing something with us there. I think that'd be pretty special. Yeah. Shout out to those guys. They're a great group of guys that are doing a lot of good at old dominion and spreading the word of the monarchs. And, and they're trying to do a lot of like what we're doing, you know, Galvin, they, they raise a lot of money too. They sure do. Money. They certainly do. So, uh, you know, again, big shout out to those guys. We love what you're doing here. We love that we've become kind of, uh, friendly in this arena you know of, of podcasters and sunbelt mm -hmm. podcasters of course they came over with us from the conference usa so there's a little bit of history there and familiarity there but um you know best of luck to you guys in every game but homecoming yeah right that's right that's just the herd in me number three schedules galore dropped we've got schedules released for swim and dive for tennis fall baseball fall softball and the complete women's basketball schedule i do want to highlight one tiny little thing if you have anything you can highlight it as well but the florida gators will be coming to the cam henderson center for women's basketball yeah i would like to say that uh the schedule fooled me you know because i was expecting i, I guess i was expecting green tinted games to be home games <laughs> and i looked at that and i thought i'm going to be able to drive a couple hours up the road and watch you know, the women's basketball team in Gainesville. This is going to be awesome. And then you look a little closer and I'm like, damn it. No, I'm not. So personally, selfishly, that was a downer to me. But for the the people in Huntington to get yeah. that home game on the schedule, mm -hmm. if by golly, you don't show out and you should show out because Kim Stevens is going to bring an unbelievably exciting brand of basketball to Marshall University this season. But if that one doesn't really magnify the, uh, environment that should be in place at the cam henderson center for these gals i don't know what we're doing here because that's a great matchup now um there's going to be a lot of great opportunities to get your butt to a seat in the cam uh at the natatorium you know uh, tennis yeah all of these things over at the jack potentially or wherever they're going to be playing probably up route two i guess for fall baseball. Route, route two for fall balls i understand um, it I, even softball played a, their yep. first fall game the other day. Yeah, it's time. It's time, right? You gotta you gotta break out of just the tunnel vision of going to the Joan on a Saturday, and start making yourself available. If you're sitting around the house, you're like, well, let me shoot over to the dot. Let, let me head up route two, catch Greg Beals's, uh, you know, first. I'm, it's not his first team, but man, it feels like it's really it, his it first does. team. He's got he his thumbprint on five, this. Less than six weeks, I think it was yeah. that he was here. And, you know, the first little bit of that is familiarizing yourself with everybody, but you can't really make any moves or anything. It's just you have who you have and you go yeah. in and you do some coaching and everything. Now we're looking at recruiting classes that are coming in that he's had his fingerprints on coaches that have been brought in. that He's got yeah. his fingerprints on a yeah. brand new. It looks amazing. The Jack. So yeah. it looks, it, it looks does. really great. It does so feel like this is his first year. And, and we talked about, it. I'm going to plug that Thunder Trust interview that I did with coach Beals. And I kind of mentioned that a little bit and, and he took a hold of that and he was like, yeah, you know, it, I just could not coach the way I, I wanted to because of the quick turnaround, you know, you mm -hmm. get the job and then a few weeks later, bam, you're into games. Yeah. So it, it feels like this is his first real season you know he had yeah. a full off season he was able to implement his plan it's mm -hmm. just a great time so my main focus is to say get into the mindset of a herd as a herd fan to go all right i got to be getting to the cam more often i got to be getting down to the pool more often i got to go to the uh, the dot more often tickets to women's basketball are insanely cheap 
insanely cheap. So all of those season tickets are available. Marshall uh, basketball renewals in general are out. So uh, we may or may not talk about that here in a minute, but it's time to change your mindset. And, you know, while you're still passionate about football, we all are, you've got to broaden that a little bit and be prepared to start supporting some of our other teams because it's that time of year. Yeah. All of these schedules, uh, again, we're not going to go down all of them on this third thing. All of them are available on herdzone.com and the app, which is a great segue for me to go into our fourth thing. There is a new and improved Herd Zone app. If you have not downloaded the Herd Zone app, we need you to download the Herd Zone app. If you have, update it or you may delete it and re-download it if uh, you don't see that it's making any kind of changes for you. I have the new one. It looks great. It's going to start out with a little bit of questions to where you can select. Now, it's going to ask you what sports you care about. Of course, it's going to be all of them. You (laughs) want to get those notifications for that, but it will give you uh, push notifications when events are going to be taking place, when news is popping up. Uh, You want to stay in tune with Marshall. You can buy tickets from the app. You can watch videos from the app. You can do just about everything. Yep, and it's super cool, man. You got to do the other stuff too. Like it's got game day lights. Remember that from basketball. Yep. You'd mm-hmm. be able to, you know, increase your fan involvement just having that app. Mm-hmm. It makes ticket purchasing really easy. It makes selling tickets really easy. If you can't, if you bought something you can't go, you can post your tickets directly to SeatGeek right on the app. So there, you have to have that, right? You have to have the new Herd Zone app. The count, the interactive calendar alone is enough to, to it download is. it day by day, like tomorrow, three events, click on it and it tells you what you got. I get notifications because, you know, we have uh, tickets that we give away. I have, mm-hmm. I get notifications on, Hey, volleyball's at home Friday. Don't forget yeah. that. You know? And I'm like, Oh yeah, we got to give tickets away for that. So get the app free on the Apple store, app store and uh, Google play store. So you can get it for Android or iOS. It's a must have in your app library without a doubt. One of the things that got me was live in-game stats, you know, so they're going to have that as, as something. So while you're at the game or you're watching at home, whichever, if it's an away game, you can click on that and you can have updated stats. So you're not trying to go to ESPN to see if they have it and, and all that. And there might be a delay. We should be able to have everything in the palm of our hands right here from this new herd zone app. The guys are killing it in the athletic department, bringing us content, now all that content is being upgraded onto this app. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, I haven't tried this yet this year, but I remember on the old app, you used to be able to even get the radio feed. Like yes. I, you could get game calls. I just pump it right through my stereo as I'm driving down the road and I've got play by play of the football game or a basketball game or whatever. So I'm sure that feature is still there. It's here, but it's, but it's that way. If you live in Charlotte, and you don't have a local radio affiliate. Well, you do now because you just need the herd zone app. You know what I mean? And as I understand it, it will also do that for the video. So whoever is streaming that game, you click on that. And then if you have that particular app, like say for ESPN Plus, I believe it would just open up that app or ask if you want to open it in ESPN Plus. Yeah. But then there's no more who's showing the game, where do right. I find the game, which right. almost everything's on ESPN for us since the move to the Sun Belt anyway. But you click on it just like with uh, being soccer uh, when we played Pitt was on ACC network, click on it and it will tell you right there. And here's how you can go to that. 
Yes. Now, look, it should be said that stuff's not going to be free. You're still going to need accounts. You're going to need an ESPN right. Plus account. So yeah. don't think, oh, I won't have to pay for it, and I'll just go through the Herdzone app. No, it don't work that way. You're going to yeah. have to have your login info and all that stuff. And if yeah. the game is available, if it's a linear game, like Marshall Virginia Tech is going to be on ESPN2. Unless you've got a cable service or a streaming service with cable-type channels, you're not going to be able to watch that, right? So just keep that in mind. It's not a workaround to keep from paying for streaming services, but it's a way to have that available on the go, you know, yeah, to all know in one where, place. Just to know where to go. Yeah. Uh, number five, our final thing for this week, uh, the Virginia Tech tailgate details. Now, when we shot our last episode we did not know that it was going to be a noon kickoff we were even speculating i thought that it was probably going to be 3 30 mm-hmm. um, but it is noon so let's talk a little bit about the details of what we have going on uh both as a an athletic department a football team yep. but also us at the thundercast so yep. lots are going to open at 6 a.m you may have seen a graphic that said 8 a.m but those are some specific single game parking lots that Marshall has that are 8 a.m. Lots will open at 6 a.m. on just about every lot, but definitely the ones that are right around the stadium, the West lot, the East lot, C lot where we're located, softball, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, Thunderwalk is going to be at 930. And uh, tailgating is open on those other lots that they were mentioning that was 8 a.m. or and that's when you could get there. Uh, tailgating will be 6 a.m., as soon as the lot's open on the main lots that we just discussed. Um, kickoff is at noon. We're striping the Joan. We've talked about the different sections that will be wearing white, which will be wearing Kelly green, but we will go over that again. But KD, what else do you have before I talk about those sections? And then we talk about our particular tailgate. Well, the biggest thing that I have to share is that our giveaway tickets are in section 113, and we will reiterate this. That is a designated white shirt section. So if you are lucky enough to win some of our tickets to the game, please have a white herd shirt or at least a white shirt that you can wear to the game. We're going to be giving them away. I think, you know, this is uh, Mon- it's Tuesday. This is Tuesday, and... Uh, I'm going to be awarding the first set of two later today. So if you don't win those, you're going to have another opportunity to win our other set of two tickets later in the week. You know, we're going to end one and immediately put out a contest tweet, I think, later in the day or maybe tomorrow. And that one will run shorter. That one might only run for a day. But we want to get these tickets into the fan, into the hands of herd fans, and we want to give you op- ample time to get down to the herd bookstore and get yourself a white T-shirt to wear to the game. 6 a.m. might sound early, but if you can't do it once, I don't know what to tell you. I can get up for this game. I can drag my butt out of bed, get a nice cup of coffee, and get rip-roaring and ready to go for Virginia Tech. Dude, I've got some family coming in from the Virginia area. And, uh, you know, I can't, I asked, I was like, are you guys like Virginia Tech fans? Are you going to be wearing that maroon? And he was like, absolutely not. In fact, we want to know where we can get gear. And I said, oh, well, we happen to have put out a video on how to dominate your herd game day experience, which we will put out again as we lead into the week or this week. So you'll know where to park, how much it's going to cost, how can I get tickets, which is going to be harder for this game, obviously. Where can I get gear, hotels, restaurants, all that kind of stuff. It's in that video. 
Uh, he was pumped about it. I'm excited about being able to see those guys and gals. I haven't seen them in a long, long time. And this is going to be their first herd game ever. Mm-hmm. And they picked a great one to come to. So um, it's going to be a great weekend. It's going to be a great Saturday, without a doubt. Get a good night's rest on Friday. You're going to be up and be expected to be on the lot at 6 a.m. with us. Don't let these old men outdo you. But uh, what about our tailgate? It's going to be awesome. Yeah, so right before that, here's the white sections. If it's not listed here as white, you're going to be wearing Kelly Green. No need to say which ones are Kelly Green. If you don't hear your section here, you're wearing Kelly Green. So white is section 105, 109, and 113. Those are on the east side. 130 is the section in the end zone. Uh, 124, 120, and 118 are both white. They are smaller sections that are going to be making up a larger stripe. 114, 110, and 104. So if you're in those, you're wearing white. If your number was not called, you're in Kelly Green. Remember, Kelly Green. Let's talk about our tailgate. Hell yeah, let's talk about our tailgate. We're going to be there at 6, but the tailgate's going to kind of start at 8. People can come there at 6. We're going to be there. But we're going to actually, you know, we're not going to have food ready at six. We're going to have food out. Let's talk a little bit about the food. And then I want to tell you about how this food came about. Yeah. So we're going to have um, chicken and waffles with hot honey. They're going to be freshly fried chicken tenders, homemade, home battered uh, right there. Homemade waffles. We're going to have waffle uh, irons set up to where you can pour in and make your own waffles, just like if you were at a continental breakfast at a hotel. Uh, Hot honey. Uh, Dutch oven mountain man breakfast. We're going to have probably three different Dutch ovens with uh, that. We'll scoop those out. And uh, if you don't know what a mountain man breakfast is, it's kind of like a breakfast casserole, but you can look that up online if you wish. Uh, we're going to have breakfast quesadillas and individual monkey bread bite muffins that will be there. Uh, mimosas, screwdrivers, and probably the best Bloody Marys you've ever had in your life. <laughs> I, I, you know how I do it. I like to do it up big. A so, full menu. This is not one breakfast item and a yeah. cup of coffee. Yeah. No. And I and I didn't go to McDonald's right next door and ask for some egg McMuffins and throw them out on a platter. We're going to be doing a big breakfast. Yeah. Now, how are we making that possible? It's because of our sponsor, Landscaping by Hillcrest. They're right in the Ona Milton area. Um actually at uh, 3187 Meadows Lane or Meadow Lane in uh Ona, West Virginia. And they do, uh, I would say they are probably the biggest landscaping company around here. They do a lot of hardscapes. I just had something done at my house, a, a massive outdoor patio, uh, paver patio. They do things like that. They put in pools. Uh, they do the surroundings of pools. We're going to be talking to them about everything that they do, but they believe in our show so much and they believe in this area and they wanted to put something on for the fans so free to any of our fans or anyone that will be stopping by you'll have all this food and drink courtesy of landscaping by hillcrest yeah we can't thank those guys enough for getting behind this virginia tech tailgate you know because they do extremely wonderful work their their website which we'll have a link to in the description by the way 
showcases some of that work. So you can actually get a look at the, the craftsmanship that, that, uh, you're going to get if you partner with them for a project at your home or your business. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't, uh, feel, uh, awkward saying that they're probably the premier landscaper in the area, uh, yeah. and not just in Ona. I mean, like in the area, I don't know yeah. how far they're willing to travel to do a job. Maybe they you go, can... they go to multiple States, man. I've, I've seen them, uh, go over definitely over into Kentucky and I don't mean just into the Ashland area. They've gone out pretty far. They've gone uh, a little bit everywhere, but if you are not in West Virginia or you're, uh, further away from the tri-state area and you want to know exactly how far they reach, just call them up or message them on their website or on Facebook or Instagram where they're easily found just by looking up landscaping by Hillcrest. They will tell you what their geographic footprint is. Yeah. And they do, they do a lot of different things. We're not talking about people to come by and mow your grass. We're not talking about just planting flowers and shrubs. They do that sort of thing but we're talking about total transformations. Uh, my project alone, they put in that paver patio and then they're doing a little bit of yard work and putting in a privacy fence uh, to totally transform my outdoor area. Yeah. So we're talking outdoor kitchens. They do everything. Fire if you're, pits. If you're trying to transform your backyard or your little section of real estate there to make it more functional and cool for your lifestyle, they really ought to be one of the calls that you're making and, and so that you can share your vision with them and let them tell you how they can turn that into a reality. But we can't thank those guys enough for sure. participating and partnering with us. The menu is going to be unbelievable and to have it all be able to be cooked basically fresh and almost to order, so to speak. Yeah. How you can, how can you beat that? You're going to be able to have great food, great drinks. You're going to be a part of an unbelievable vibe at the Joan Hopefully, we're going to see a very convincing win by the herd. I think we feel pretty good that we can see that. And then the rest of the, the day is also going to be epic, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. So Yeah. Uh, last thing that I have about our tailgate for this thing is uh, we are tentatively, right now, we're trying to dial everything in, starting Thundercast Live, powered by Ignite Link at 9.30. Uh, we hope to go uh, live from 9.30 to around 10.30, and we are also trying to get a special guest on there, but we're working. We'll on have we'll, we'll have a little more info, and uh, we will finalize that time as the week goes on. Yeah, we we are hoping we can't make any promises. You know how schedules go. You know how hectic a game day can be, and with an early kick, it doesn't really help things. But we're yeah. going to do our best to bring you the best Thundercast live, powered by Ignite Link, that we possibly can russ an amazingly awesome five things this week there is so much momentum leading into this weekend not only saturday but also friday a uh, little little teaser there of some things we're going to talk about in around the herd but look dude we've got a huge massive very popular football game that we have to talk about and we've got some data on this young season now that we can start to lean into with our previews uh luckily or maybe unluckily for Vir virginia tech they are gonna have to pay the piper, so to speak, about some of this data. Um, but let's talk about the game. What do you say? Absolutely. Virginia Tech preview. The Hokies are coming to Jones C. Edwards Stadium. It is a sellout crowd for the herd. Saturday, September 23rd at noon. The game has been elevated to ESPN2. So you've got a linear network 
pretty decent prime kickoff spot for the herd to showcase their brand of football in front of the country. Uh, ESPN Power Index really likes the herd in a home game. 67% chance to win. Everybody kind of got all up in arms, not in a bad way, but like got really excited about that opening line. Marshall opened minus nine on some of those sports books. According to ESPN, that line is now down to Marshall minus five with an over-under of 41, which puts that score in that 23 to 18-ish range if you're trying to break it down that way. Historically, Russ, this is the 14th all-time meeting between the Herd and the Hokies. They own an 11-2 advantage over Marshall. Both, though, Marshall victories came in Huntington back way back in 1939 and 1940. Uh, the Hokies, of course, won the most recent matchup in Huntington, a 30-10 to 10 win in 2011. So we owe them one. And we've played them tough a couple of times in fairly recent history, and we let a couple of those games slip away. So mm-hmm. we owe them one. Here's a little interesting tidbit about this history that a lot of Herd fans may not know. You're probably thinking, well, okay, you play Virginia Tech – Either the games are going to be in Blacksburg or they're going to be in Huntington. Would it surprise you to know that three of the games, actually, in 1951, 1952, and 1953 were played in Bluefield? And all of those games, of course, were won by the Hokies. But interesting little tidbit. In the early 50s, the Herd and the Hokies locked horns three times in Bluefield. So I did not know that. That's a great little uh, detail. Yeah, I didn't know that either until I was uh, studying the matchups there. Um, How about a bird's eye view before we get into team stats and then general, I guess, call it game data points? No disrespect meant to Virginia Tech, who I have rooted for quite a bit over the years. Uh, So when I say this, no disrespect meant, but this is not Frank Beamer's Virginia Tech. This is not the early 90s to 2016-ish Virginia Tech that had a terrific run and just seemed to always be a threat to knock anybody off that they played. They've Mm -hmm. had a down year so far. They've had some struggles on offense so far. They've had some struggles on defense so far. They're catching Marshall when they Marshall has a really strong defense that might exacerbate those problems that the Hokies are having on offense. So my 10,000 foot view of this is Marshall has uh, every right to be a favor uh, in this game. And I think that negative five to negative nine line is right around there. It looks like about a touchdown difference. Uh, when you're looking at this, considering it's a home game and that they don't know uh, maybe until later this week or maybe even game time, some of their players that are going to be playing. Yeah, it looks like like right out of the gate, their quarterback might be a game time decision for mm-hmm. the Hokies and not necessarily from an injury standpoint that plays into it, but they don't know, A, I think who they want to go with based on who is available. So that that's that's a little bit of a of a advantage for them, I think, you know, because we don't know 100% who to prepare for, but when you have a familiarity with one of those two quarterbacks, uh, I don't think that is as much of an advantage as maybe 
the casual Hokey fan would think it is. I mean, let's be honest. We're pretty familiar with Grant Wells. So if he does play, it's not like you have to scout this brand new quarterback and you don't know anything about him, right? They do. And if he doesn't play, well, you can just spend the majority of your time preparing um, for Kyron Drones. So I don't mm-hmm. think that's a huge advantage. And for the national media that's just looking at, at this as your typical P5, G5 matchup, and they're all in on the Hokies, and they think it's, you know, they don't, they haven't d- dived into the numbers and the matchups like we do, and they're just kind of brushing this off, thinking that the Hokies are going to roll into Jonesy Edwards Stadium and just roll out with a win. I think that's a little misleading because you're right. The Hokies are kind of trending downward. They're trying to, get that upswing going, but they haven't quite made it yet. This isn't a one-season dip. They've been trying to get that consistent Mm -hmm. upward trajectory for a couple of years. And Marshall's just kind of been like this since since, uh, Charles Huff took the helm. So it's a bad time to catch the herd, and you're catching them at home, and it's a Mm -hmm. sellout crowd, and this, and that. And so I think a lot goes right for the herd, and, and we're singing a different game than a lot of the national media might be. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And uh, you know how I am with matchups, uh, yeah. which we're going to discuss. But uh, looking at the matchups, it does not look good on, on that front for them either. Some of the things they struggle with, we're really good at. So let's talk about some of these team numbers, production numbers, because, hey, we did some Virginia Tech content with a couple of entities. And we I should say thank you to the Sons of Saturday for having us as a guest on their show. And um, we talked about some of those things and, and, and the matchups and what they were good at versus what we're good at and they're not so good at. And so it's out there and it's not hard to find if you look at it. But let me give you some indicators team-wise right now. Let's do points per game. Now we're, we're three games in. Marshall's just two games in, but we're three games in for the Hokies. Let's do points per game, points allowed, and then offensive production and then break that down by run and pass like we always do and then defensive production and break that down like we always do. Virginia Tech is only scoring 23 points per game and they're allowing 25.3. All right. Conversely, the Herd is scoring 26 points per game and only allowing 15. Uh, offensive production, the Herd is outgaining the Hokies also. The Hokies are tallying 324 yards a game. Marshall's over 400 at 402 for offensive production. Run and pass breakdown, though, that's pretty telling. Virginia Tech, a historically good running team, is only averaging 83 rushing yards per game as a team. Uh, 241 through the air. So they are way more pass-heavy production-wise than they are running. Uh, Marshall, conversely, is a bit more balanced, still a little, uh, you know, un, not as balanced as we would like to see. Uh, Marshall's averaging 138 rush yards per game to 264 through the air. So let me stop you right there. Russ, for all the we can't pass the ball, we're gaining more yards through the air than the Hokies are in, the, in their young season. Uh, and then last two data points before we get into some general data points about what storylines might be around. Defensively. Virginia Tech's allowing 341 yards a game. Marshall only 284. Uh, Run and pass. This might be where it gets ugly. Rushing yards. Virginia Tech's allowing 212 rushing yards per game. Only 129 through the air. Marshall, conversely, is only allowing 126 rush yards per game. And we know the bulk of those, Russ, came on two busted rush plays in both games. And then they're allowing 158 pass yards as a team per game. If you look at those numbers, Marshall's the superior team. If you look at the records, Marshall's the superior team. Now, you can let your P5-G5 bias come into play all you want. And we're not saying this is going to be a... You know, walk in the park for the herd. It's not. They got to play a good game. But 
these numbers don't lie. So what do you got for me based on what I just said to you? Well, so I have obviously those same mathematical numbers that you have, and I won't repeat them, but I will tell you the rankings on some of these and how they match up because that's kind of telling on where both teams uh, yeah. land with these numbers. So uh, Virginia Tech's uh, offense scoring 23 a game is tied for 97th out of 130. All these rankings will be out of 130. Marshall's defense giving up 15 is tied for 29th. So it seems like on paper they're going to struggle putting up points against us. Uh, some of the things that we'll talk about, third down conversions, they are 15 of 43 for 34.9%, which is tied for 107th. Yeah. We are 11th in the nation at 27.3%, 9 of 33. So we're not even giving up as many opportunities. Now they have had three games to get that, but it nine first or uh, nine first down conversions on third down is all we have given up in two games. Yeah. This that's probably one of the two biggest stats that you can't deny. You yeah. can't convert on third down and Marshall's really good at stopping you on third down, which means the herd gets off the field and so do the Hokies because they can't convert. So this is a synergistic stat that plays right into something that we do really well. How many first downs have they gotten in three games? 55 first downs. We're not talking about third down conversions, fourth down conversions, just total first downs. They've gotten 55 in three games. That is tied for 100th out of 130. Marshall is ranked first in the nation. Now, the caveat with that is obviously we have only played two games. There's not too many squads that have already had a bye week. Some teams have played four, yeah. but we have only given up 32 first downs, and we are doing a great job at that with our defense. Other things that you're going to see, we're tied for second in sacks at five a game. We're tied for third in tackles for loss at 10 a game. They rank 79th and 77th, tied for both of those in giving up sacks and tackles for loss. It looks like that offensive struggle is going to be real for them. And we don't know if they're going to have two of their top receivers, and we don't know if they're incumbent starting quarterback their senior starter grant wells who transferred from here is going to play yeah i've got to talk about those first downs you mentioned the 55 total first downs i broke that down a little bit far because i want people to know how they get them right right 33 of those 55 have come through the air so yeah. that tells you they don't run the football very well you know and i don't know of the 15 uh First downs that they've converted by rush, seven, by the way, have come by way of penalty. Um, of the 15 that they've converted by rush, I don't know this, but how many of them were a third and one? You know what I mean? So probably a good bit of them, you would like to think. So if you're in a third and medium situation, you might as well bet the farm on a pass play, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and that's the type of thing that gives you an edge. If you know a tendency, if you know a success rate, and, and we know now we have enough data to get a good idea of what the Hokies like to do. Um, I, I'm telling you, man, it, this just doesn't match up well. What the Hokies are not so great at, we're pretty good at, you know. So I, I'm not trying to down them, but you've got to call a spade a spade, right? You can't just dance around the fact that these data points don't lie. Um, and you mentioned the injuries. 
you know, Sons of Saturday told us they had they've lost their number one receiver, Ollie Jennings. Ollie who Jennings. Heard, yeah. heard fans are really familiar with. He transferred from Old Dominion last year and had a really good season for the Monarchs and still is one of their top receivers, even though he's injured now and uh, from a production standpoint in this early season. And you mentioned Grant Wells. That's who everybody yeah. wants to see and Kelly Green. Yeah. They want to see him line up for the Hokies and play this herd defense. They do. And According to the websites that I've looked at, both are still listed as questionable. Uh, Gr- Grant Wells is a, a ankle. Ollie Jennings is kind of undisclosed. It was a knee or lower body uh, injury that he had. But Sons of Saturday sure made it sound like Ollie Jennings was not going to play. Yeah, they sure did. And and that's a huge loss for them through the air. They have some other weapons, and I'll tell you about them. I did not highlight Ollie Jennings because we are going off of the assumption that he is injured. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the quarterback scenario at, in Blacksburg is not ideal because they just don't know who is the guy. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, if if Drones is the guy, then he he had some flashes against Rutgers, but they got handled pretty mightily at you know against Rutgers, and that's they not did. any that's not anywhere you want to be. So uh, the the other thing you've got to reiterate is that they have a rather porous rush defense, and Marshall's really good at running the ball when they need to, and hopefully we see it, you know, for more of a four quarters thing instead of needing to flip the switch and make it happen. That two hundred and twelve yards a game that they're giving up is a hundred and twenty fourth out of hundred and thirty teams right now. So they are historically bad right now against the rush. Yeah, and it looks like you know would be a great time and maybe that's something we'll talk about in keys to the game later but it would be a great time for marshall to unleash the ollie beast as well as you know a a rushing quarterback that we have you know all the talent to do so yeah yeah i have some uh some deeper diving data points on that rush defense when we get to players and and we're talking about the Mm -hmm. defense so hey great little segue here let's talk about some players you got to look out for for these hokies and I've got a bunch on offense because we have to mention two quarterbacks. And, you mm-hmm. know, they've got a couple of runners. And so let's just get into it. We're going to start with number six, quarterback, Grant Wells, Charleston, West Virginia, GW High School, former Marshall quarterback. We know the story. Did not play against Rutgers. The six foot two, 212-pound senior, though, is still the leading passer for the Hokies despite not playing at all uh, against Rutgers. Drones has played and appeared in all three games for the Hokies. But Grant Wells leads the team in completions, leads the team in attempts, leads the team in yards and touchdowns, and yes, interceptions as well. He's 33 of 62 on this young season for 494 yards, five touchdowns, two interceptions. He's had 14 carries for three yards this season, uh, one touchdown on the ground. A lot of that, of course, counts for sack yardage. He's been sacked 33 or three times that amassed to almost 32 sack yards. So he's not just getting sacked, they're big losses when it occurs. Uh, number one, Chiron Drones, six foot two, 231 pound sophomore. He played in all three games, like I mentioned, for Virginia Tech. He started against Rutgers. He's 22 of 40 on the season for 230 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He's got 26 carries on the season for 89 yards, but he's been sacked four times, and those all came against Rutgers. Now, the production of those rush yards did come against Rutgers. I think it was like 74 or 77 of those 89 yards. Okay, came against the Knights. So uh, he is a very mobile quarterback, and, you know, we might be seeing a similar matchup of quarterbacks between Cam and Drones if Drones gets the start. I like Cam a little bit more. I think he's a more polished passer, and he makes better decisions and doesn't just necessarily look to take off. But 
one of the one of those caveats on that uh to get 74 yards that is a lot for a quarterback he hit 39 of those were on one rush right uh but he rushed 22 times that's something that we're going to have if he is the starter or he plays a lot we're going to have to look for him to uh seemingly either by design or just tucking and running on a pass play he's going to be hitting uh the ground quite a bit yeah uh, he, it, he led the team in attempts uh, along with the yards and it was not close yeah it, and the, and the reason why you see that is because of the next data points i'm going to talk about a couple of runners the receipt the leading risk oh shit the leading rusher for the hokies number 33 running back basial tutin or tutton um five foot 11 200 pound junior 38 carries leads the Hokies from a team standpoint. 104 rush yards is the team lead on the season. Just 2.7 yards per carry and found the end zone once. Caveat, he did rush for 1,363 yards in 2022 along with 13 rushing touchdowns. So he is a talented runner. Just off to a really rough start in 2023. So let's hope that trend continues in Jonesy Edwards Stadium on Saturday. Let's also talk about number 24 running back Malachi Thomas. Six foot 206. He's a sophomore. 23 carries for 52 yards on the season. Just 2.3 yards per carry. Russ, neither of their starting running backs are over three yards a carry. Uh, that one game by drones has vaulted him to being the team's second leading rusher. And most of that, almost that one, would you say, 37-yard rush? 39. 39-yard rush almost made him the team's second leading yard rusher. Without so, without uh, the sacks, he would be the team's leading rusher, as I understand it. Uh, I, I tried to do the math. He's got 89 and the other's 104, but I think that he had less than 15 yards taken away on the sacks. I just don't have that data in front of me. I looked at it, and I remember it being a really small number for oh, only, okay. having, only being four sacks. Okay. And I was thinking, wow, I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm just saying it was like eight yards? Like, dang. Okay. You know, well, so. then he's still right there neck and neck if you take yeah, it yeah. away. But uh, their longest – uh, when you're looking at just the running backs and take the 39-yard scramble out from the quarterback, their longest rushing uh, gain Play. on the years, 14 yards. Wow, wow. 14 yards on three games. That is the longest that they've gotten from a running back. And we've seen Ali go for 30, 50-some, several 10-plus yards. So this you can start to see how it, it starts to tip the scales in Marshall's favor, the Hokies just aren't very good at running the football right now, and they're not very good at stopping the run. And boy, oh boy, that's two things that Marshall does extremely well, stopping the run and running the football. Let's talk about some receivers, though, because they are a little bit more of a pass-heavy team. We'll have to see, of course, how this plays out based on who the quarterback is. But uh, you got let's start with number 83, wide receiver Jalen Lane, 5'10", 180-pound senior, Team lead tied for the team lead with nine receptions on the season. Team leader with 123 receiving yards and tied for the team lead with the aforementioned Ali Jennings with two receiving touchdowns. Good for 13.7 yards per catch. He did amass 940 yards and five touchdowns in 2022. Very viable weapon, but we'll have to see how this Hokies offense gets to be playing complimentary football if indeed Ollie Jennings does not play. Number nine, 
wide receiver Daquan Felton, six foot five, two oh seven, big tall body. Senior, seven receptions, 118 yards on the year, one touchdown. Good for 16.9 yards per carry or per catch. And then lastly, number eight, tight end, Daquan Wright. So D-A apostrophe and D-A-E apostrophe. Don't get those uh, confused. One's a wide receiver, one's a tight end. Both big-bodied guys. Six foot four, 234. Pounder, he's a sophomore. Nine receptions tied for the team lead with Mr. Lane. 112 yards on the season. Not found the end zone yet. Good for 12.4 yards per catch. Here's the star data points for this Hokies offense. One rusher is over 100 yards on the season. So that means they haven't had a 100-yard rusher in a game yet. Only four receivers have over 100 yards on the season and only 23 points per game and a lot of questions to be answered on that side of the football for the Hokies. Russ, it just doesn't seem like the right time to catch an uptrending herd. And a little bit of an update here. You know, it wasn't a knee, it's a foot for Ollie Jennings. Uh, and he's still listed as questionable, but Lane, who you talked about, also yeah. questionable. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, and it's it's undisclosed on what his is. Uh, and then you've also got uh, a wide receiver that you did not mention. He's out indefinitely. He's out for the season. And then uh, they have a tight end that's out for the season. And the running back Coney is out indefinitely, but we didn't mention him as well. Right. Uh, so. They have a lot, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, with six of those being on offense as listed either out or questionable. And then uh, on defense, it's uh, the safety peoples, and uh, he's listed as questionable, undisclosed injury. So let's hope that these guys are ultimately okay. And it's, this is a little bit of gamesmanship on the part of Virginia Tech because we we want their best team on the field. We we don't want built-in excuses. We want them to field the strongest team that they can. So I'm hoping that some of these questionables turn into probables and then turn into will play. So mm-hmm. I want to put that out there. I hope these guys are just dinged up and not actually injured. I would love to see a full complement or the strongest complement possible of Hokie players taking the field against the herd. Uh, but that's a lot of guys, dude. I mean, if all those guys, or at least half those guys, turn out to not be able to play, that's a depth killer, you know? So late in games, we've seen what Marshall's been able to do late in games. They stay fresh, and they take over a ball game. And if you've got depth issues and they don't, man, you could see more of the same for the herd. You know, you talked about how they are more pass-heavy in three games. uh, You know, they've got 724 yards, but – with Jennings and Lane, if they are both out, that takes away two of their top five in yardage. But when if if Lane is out, guys, they don't have a receiver that's got 10 balls. And Lane is tied for the team lead with nine. If he's out, they've got nine, seven, six, five, and five. And by the way, one of those fives is probably out in Jennings. Right. There's you got some guys that are going to have to make some big catches in this game if they're going to struggle running against our defense. Well, let's take that a step further. If Lane is indeed out and Jennings is indeed out, that's four touchdowns four, through the four, air that are out. Six. They're yeah. already struggling to score points, and you take those weapons out of the air, what they're better at than running, whew, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So uh, let's hope they're healthy because I would like to see a, 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 good, a really good game. I really yeah. would. 
Sure. Let's talk about defense, though. Well, I got a trio of guys that we're going to talk about. Uh, number twenty-one linebacker Kelly Lawson, six foot four, two twenty. What a build on a linebacker! Sophomore leads the team in tackles, twenty-nine total. Leads the team in solo tackles with fifteen and a half a sack. Twenty, number twenty-six safety Jalen Stroman, six foot one, two hundred two. He's a junior. Twenty-one tackles, uh, thirteen of those solo. And then number fifty-two. Defensive lineman Antoine Powell Ryland, six foot three, two hundred and forty-two pounds. He's a junior. Fourteen tackles on the season. Nine of those solo leads the team with two sacks and leads the team with one forced fumble. The thing I like to talk about most when it comes to a defense is impact plays because I think that tells the story more than how many tackles a guy has. Um, here's the impact plays for the Hokies through three games. They have seven team sacks. They have one team interception. They have three forced fumbles, and two fumble recoveries to go along with six passes defended. I'm going to stop right there. I got more data, but I'm going to stop right there. Impact plays, we know, Russ, that's something that Marshall's good at. They got a nose for the ball. Game changers. uh, And conversely, it doesn't look like Virginia Tech's very good at getting to the quarterback, and Marshall's really good at keeping from people from getting to our quarterback. Still one of the last few teams in the country to not allow a sack. How good are they? Number one in the country with zero sacks allowed, and that's not tied with anyone else. They are the only one. Oh, now we're the last. Okay. So um, we are number one, and they are tied for 52 at getting 2.33 sacks a game. They've gotten seven in their three games, like you mentioned. Um, One thing that they are good at, they are fourth in the country on passing yards per game given up. They only give up 129.3, so that is something to watch. Uh, And they have yet, in only three tries, they have yet to give up a fourth down conversion for a first down. They're uh, tied for first, obviously, at not giving up any. Well, if we do our job, we won't ever see that come to fruition for us, you know. If if the if the rushing plays out like I think it will, I don't think there's going to be too many opportunities and of needing to convert a fourth down unless we're just in that no man's land of long field goal and short fourth down conversion type thing. But if you get to the red zone on them, yeah. they've had uh, eight trips to the red zone that they've defended. They've given up eight scores, 100%, tied for 109th in the nation. Four of those rushing. Three of those were passing, so seven out of the eight were touchdowns. That's the one I was waiting on. They gave up a field goal. So um, it's it's like one of these that they're struggling just about everywhere. I mean, they have some bright spots. They've got some great players that we were talking about. Lawson is a baller at linebacker. And, um, you know, if you're fourth in the nation giving up 129 passing yards a game that is elite that is great but i just i mean part of that was rutgers had 46 passing yards against them in this last sure. game so it sure. it rocketed it right up but i mean rutgers maybe didn't need to pass the ball because they were <laughs> rushing for so you much <laughs> yeah they were rushing for so much and they were leading in 135 to yeah. 16 so it's one of those that even where they stand out in a couple of their rankings and everything, when you look at all the other context clues around it, it's like, you know, it's maybe not that they weren't just that good at it. It's just one of the stats that hit like that because of the the scenario that they're in. 
Yeah, let me give you the last two data points, and it's specifically about rush defense. They've allowed they allowed 256 rushing yards to Rutgers on just 34 carries. That's seven and a half yards a carry. Yeah. Okay. That's why you don't need but 46 passing yards to to beat that team in that game. But they have allowed at least 179 rushing yards in every game, right? And two of those games, they've allowed over 200 yards rushing to their opponent. So, man, this is not just like a one game that blew up the stats. This is like a trend. This is a pattern. This is what they are right now, you know. And and maybe they get it right in a magical week of preparation for the herd, but it certainly doesn't feel like it. Let's talk about the kicking game real quick before I give you some team stats, and then we'll get into some keys to victory. Can I uh, can I have one more point on defense sure, for them? Sure. Uh, their third down rate that they give up, they're 109th in the nation. They're giving up 46.7% of the time. They're allowing conversions 21 out of 45. Yeah. So uh, that, you know, even though they have that elite not giving up a fourth down conversion, that third down conversion rate. If if we're talking about getting first downs and they're difficult uh, defending the run and we're getting third and short, it's looking like we should be able to just keep getting first downs and keep getting first downs and keep getting first downs. Yeah. Uh, number 97, place kicker John Love is a pretty bright spot for this Hokie special yeah. team. 5'11", 170, 170 pound freshman. Freshman, four of five on the year and field goals with a long of 41, and he's perfect on extra points. So if they get into a decent range, they can put up some field goals, but I don't think if I'm a Hokie fan, I want to get into a scenario where I have to beat this herd team with field goals. I don't think that's going to be something that is going to have a high uh, percentage of success. All right, here's another bright spot for this Hokies team. Penalties. They're only averaging about three per game. So they're pretty disciplined despite giving up big plays, despite giving up yardage and points. They're a pretty disciplined team, only averaging about three a game for only 46 penalty yards. So that's a yeah. real bright spot if you're a Hokie fan. You know at least that there's not going to be a lot of mental mistakes that are going to extend drives for this herd. They're going to have to earn it, but they can earn it. That's the problem. Time of possession, they dip slightly under 30 minutes a game. I mean, just slightly, 29-47. So it's not a real point of concern if you're a Hokie fan. You know, we've talked about many times getting to that 30-30 thing, 30 points in 30 minutes of time possession, probably going to lead to more victories than not most of the time. You mentioned the third down conversions and the third down defense. Um, that's ones that I had specifically written down because, boy, oh, boy, that's scary. One Tied for 107 in conversions on offense and 109 for third down conversions allowed. That ain't good, man, because yeah. that's what the herd's good at, both yeah. of those. And then uh, we did the first down breakdown already and how they convert and move the ball. So how about some keys to victory, Russ, for the herd? Well, first I want to hit on those penalties that you mentioned because you said uh, Virginia Tech is uh, pretty disciplined at 46.33 yards per game. Would you say, and all of our listeners I would say would do this, that it would be a concern of ours of how many penalties we got the first two games and that they came yeah. in rough times. So they are ranked 48th in the nation and we're ranked 49th right behind them at 46 and a half yards. So that perception versus reality thing that we talked about with Fancher and throws downfield and stuff like that shocked me when I heard that, that we were only averaging 46 and a half yards in penalties because, you know, we've had a few 15 yarders in yeah. the same and game. 10 yarders. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm thinking, you know, when I'm getting ready to 
crap and look for this, that we're going to see a drastically different number. I see Virginia Tech there first, and then right below them is Marshall, almost neck and neck, almost identical. And, yeah, they've had three games, we've had two, but that blew my mind. So mm-hmm. that is something to watch. Uh, we uh, we may see that uh, come into play, that penalties might be something. If somebody really gets some bad ones, that that changes the the trajectory of the game. Yeah. All right, so keys to victory. My first one uh, is establish the run. I think that's been the same for me for the first two games, and it is establish the run, and not just with Ali, but again with um, Cam Fancher running the ball to really take the pressure off of people keying on on Ali. Yeah, I'm echoing that. And my number one key to victory is – Harness the energy of the Joan and run like hell. That's what it's going to take from the gate, out of the gate. You know, I don't want to see, you know, three and out on two, first two possessions, and then you finally get a first down. Nah, man, people are going to be amped up from the get-go. That is your moment to harness that energy and come out like wildfire and and run on this Hokies defense because it can be done. Mm-hmm. And if it can't be done, Marshall's going to have a problem because every other team that they face this year has been able to do it. Now, common opponents, for, or not common opponents, but the opponents for the Hokies, in case people don't know, they started the season off against Old Dominion. They got a win against Old Dominion. And then they've had consecutive losses against Purdue and Rutgers. All right, so even Old Dominion, no slight against them, they amassed 179 team rushing yards on the Hokies. So Marshall has to be able to do that too because in all of these preseason prognostications of the Sunbelt's best runners, I didn't see any of the ODU backs featured, but we did Mm -hmm. see Rasheen Ali featured, right? So that's a legit weapon that you can't deny. And Marshall's got to finally come out early, (laughs) maybe not have it called back on a holding penalty, (laughs) but... You know, start early. Get those fireworks going early. Keep the crowd engaged as long as you can to start that game and run like freaking hell. I don't have specifics, but I'm sure you'll remember last year when we were going over ratings for uh, or rankings for uh, breakdowns uh, for previews. And we would say Marshall is up near the top, always in the top 10 or something in rushing and everything with Laburn and how what a great year he had. Mm-hmm. But when we would come up against a team rated toward the bottom and we said we got to let them eat almost every single time and probably every single time if i went back and looked we did that we exposed that we did because we've got great backs we've Mm -hmm. we've got a great running game so i look for more of that and that's i mean both of us have it as number one for a reason but when they're 124th out of 130 teams and they're giving up over 212 yards on average and they just let Rutgers run over the top of them to the tune of 256, I two, think. Two, yeah. 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 We, need, we need to eat. As much as we know, ultimately, for Marshall's goals for a Sunbelt Conference title, this game is meaningless on that front. Mm-hmm. Nationally, if Rasheen Ali goes out and piles up 200 yards and finds the end zone four times, that's that's going to put him on the radar for so many other people. We know how great he is, but you know how 
the national concept is. Mm -hmm. Well, they're doing it against a power five team. It doesn't matter that the matchups favor the herd. It doesn't matter that we should be doing this anyway. That's all they're going to see. Wow, this guy went for 204 touchdowns on Virginia Tech. Who is this guy? So mm -hmm. fan perception, it's huge. You got the Hokies in the Jones, sellout crowd, striping the stadium. All the things are lining up. You got to go out and give us your best effort. I mean, not that the players won't. I mean, like, we need to see a positive outcome on the scoreboard. For real, yes. for real. And this yeah. will galvanize more of those fans. The fans that don't care that this doesn't mean anything for the Sun Belt season, they want to see a win against Virginia Tech, and they'll go, man, look, this team's really good. But yeah. they go out and lose this game and then win the Sun Belt, they'll still go, well, you know, they're a good team, but they didn't beat Virginia Tech. And that's right. unfair because this, is, this, that, this game is meaningless to the Sun Belt goals. But I don't give a shit. Win it. Go out and yeah. win it. You're the better team. you got to win it. What's your number two? Number two is to get pressure on their quarterback, whomever it may be. And uh, that would be either rattling uh, Grant Wells. Uh, I love the kid. I, he's a son of Marshall. He played here. He's a local guy. We said that on the Sons of Saturday show. Uh, he's from the Charleston area. Uh, I'm going to root for him in every game that he's not playing the hurt. You know, I want him to succeed. I know some of our fans feel that because he transferred away that, oh, well, I want him to fail now because he felt like he needed to go somewhere else and not do it here. That's them. They have every right to that opinion. It's not me. But if it's him, I think that we can pressure him. I think that there might be some nerves here. It's uh, uh, especially with the injury and the shakiness, you know, of the ankle being questionable that it might be in the back of his head. Well, I can't scramble. So, you know, I'm going to have to force a throw if I'm getting a lot of pressure. All right. The other coin is if it's drones, you've got a very inexperienced guy, talented, but very inexperienced. We need to get to him and get to him often. It doesn't have to be sacks as long as we're pressuring him. It doesn't have to be tackles for loss as long as we're pressuring him. We need to put pressure on both of them, force mistakes by their um, quarterbacks if it's one of them or if both of them end up playing. Yep, I'm with you. I'm going to move that. That's actually part of my fourth point to victory. I don't do these in any order, just when they come to me. So I'm going to move that up and talk about it right now. And I, I think you're right on right as rain. And a lot of people will hear you go, force Grant Wells into throws. Well, we know how that goes, you know, because he does have a penchant for throwing the interception. That's not a slight. That's truth. We've yeah, seen it facts. multiple seasons. You've seen it, you know, and I'm with you. I like the kid. I want to see him do well. Fans can feel how they want to feel. The best way to, you know, prove that he might have made the wrong decision is to go out and win on Saturday. That, that's what you do. You go out and win the head-to-head -head matchup. And if he doesn't play, it doesn't matter. You still go out and beat the Hokies and go, see, should have stuck around. But I think you have to keep Wells guessing. You're right. We can get to him if that ankle's 80%. Eh, that probably doesn't bode well when you got Sam Burton and Owen Porter and Gibby and all these guys bearing down on you. And you got Eli Neal coming from the second level. And you got Stephen Dix Jr., maybe Mike Abraham on a safety blitz or J.J. Roberts, right? This These weapons could come from everywhere at all yeah. angles, and they most likely will, especially if you're a tad bit dinged up or not 100%. And we uh, we I talked about it anyway, about scrambling away from that. But, I mean, it can be a planting and throwing issue. You know, if sure. you've got a very bad, I don't know if it's his uh, planting, you know, his uh, right or his left, which ankle it is. But, I mean, that can really impact uh, velocity on his throws. For sure. It's going to affect your mechanics to some degree. Yeah. It might be minute, but it's not the same as being 100%, right? That's why your 
questionable because you're not sure yet if you're going to play. Now, to go off of that, it's not all about Wells. It is if he's starting and playing, but if they play both quarterbacks or Drones is the guy, then you do have to respect the mobility of Drones, right? Because he proved that he can move the football with his legs against Rutgers. He also had 40, well, I don't know if he had 40 passing attempts, but he's got 40 passing attempts on the year. So he will throw the football, right? But you just got to respect the dual threat ability for drones in this game if he's the guy or when he enters the game. If we do that, I think we can get to these guys. They, they've proven they've got seven sacks over, you know, uh, three games they've allowed. So you can get to the quarterback. And Marshall rushes the quarterback pretty well. Sam Burton's having a great year up near the top, if not number one or number two in sacks per game. Uh, and Owen Porter is who he is. He's a freaking dog. And he will cut loose on you if he has the opportunity. So... So another matchup within the matchup to pay attention to. Uh, what's your number three? Create turnovers. And that's kind of a, a key from number two. It just goes right into there. You know, I said pressure him. Uh, we hope to disrupt them, but I really want to take it a step further and create some big turnovers. We uh, have two interceptions on the year right in the middle of the pack uh, at 68, tied for 68 with two interceptions. We are not ranked at all on fumbles mm -hmm. because we haven't recovered one yet. Right. So we have two true turnovers, uh, and we need to get, I feel like, two in this game, if not more. And we don't need that to win, but we need that to dominate this game. I feel like we need to get some turnovers and really, really take them down. Yeah, I'm with you. I think stifling a drive or two uh, – will be very, very beneficial. Not just beneficial, but very beneficial to kill any sort of momentum that they might think they're starting to get. You get that opportune sack fumble or mm -hmm. interception going the other way or something like that. It'll be huge. And, and you'll have 30,000 people there, most of them in Kelly Green and White, that are going to blow the roof off of the stadium every time there's a turnover mm -hmm. that favors the herd. You know, so then those plays re-engage the fan base. It's different than scoring a touchdown because you score a touchdown, the crowd erupts, and then you have a lull in the action. You have an extra point, and then you have a kickoff, and then you're back to football. Well, dude, you get a turnover, it's immediate, and you're right back to playing ball, and the crowd's engaged, and now you're on offense, and these guys are jazzed up. That'll be huge. It's an excellent point. For me, my number three is you have to absolutely dominate the point of attack both on the offensive line and the defensive line. You control the line, you win the game, period. You control the line, you win the game. You keep their defenders off of our quarterbacks and living in our backfield, but conversely, you do the same to them, you win the football game. That's it. There's no two ways about it. You win the point of attack, you win the football game because that means we'll be able to run the ball effectively. That means we'll be able to move the chains. That means Cam Fancher will have time to pass the football, all of that. And conversely, they won't have the ability to do any of that effectively. So huge point for me. What's your number four? Uh, my fourth and final one is to take this proverbial car that we're driving here, this football car, and make sure that we turn off the function of the brake pedal and that we just hammer the gas pedal down. That's the only pedal we have. All gas, no brakes. We've heard... Plenty of people say it over the years. We need to actually have it in this game. If we get up, we need to not let them up. We need to continue to pile it on. 
I know that you you want to go into that. Well, let's preserve this lead and let's not make mistakes and let them get back into it. But I think we can really make a statement here. We have an opportunity to do so. And I kind of feel like that we will pull away later on in the game. I love our depth. I love, especially along, you're talking defensive line. We talk about it all the time. We've got a running back room that we haven't even tapped into yet this year. You know, uh, we, we've got a lot of, I mean, look at the fricking, uh, tight ends nine deep, you know, that we can rotate in and everything. I think our depth would shock a lot of people. You know, we said it on sons of Saturday, they were talking about, uh, uh, you know, a P five versus a G five and everything. I said, man, I think that you would be a hard pressed to find a, a better defensive line and, and all this, the sheer size that we have and the depth that we have, this is built to take down P five. And I hate that, you know, I hate that yeah, term, Me too. but, but we are, we are right there with them in talent and depth, yeah, uh, not, not Virginia tech, but I mean, anyone in the country, as far as uh P five status goes. Yeah. Th- those terms are such, Bush League crap, right? Because yeah. if you want to say it this way, that's a power five defensive line in a Kelly Green uniform. Sure that's is. exactly what they are. There's no sure way is. around it, you know? So you're not going up against a G5 line. You're going up yeah. against guys that can dominate you along the point of attack and along the line of scrimmage, and you're going to see it firsthand. Yeah. And, and don't say we didn't tell you about it when it happens, right? Mm-hmm. Don't try to be like, man, our team's this and our team's that. Marshall's good. You know, we told the East Carolina guys, I told them particularly, they were talking about playing Michigan, and that was going to be their best defense they play, faced all year. And I conceded to that, and I said, Marshall's probably going to be the second best defense you played. And they kind of shrugged it off a little bit. Well, I'd like to see how they feel about that now, right? Yeah. So uh, who is your MVP for this one? I think it's going to be Ali. I, I keep saying Ali. Uh he has, I'm not going to say disappointed at all. The no. man leads the, you know, six touchdowns, you know, yeah. uh, they have keyed on him and he's still doing what he's doing. So uh, I'm not going to use the term disappointed, but I am going to say that he has not had that breakout game that I think of just the 170 plus yards, uh, 200 yards, whatever, uh, to where he just, dominates 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 and i really think that this might be that game they're giving up 212 on the ground they seem to struggle with it uh i say we feed the beast and once he gets any bit of room he's shown what he can do so he's shown he doesn't need room to get to the end end zone yeah (laughs) yeah. i mean what who you gonna bring the terminator against him he took (laughs) took seven and carried him into the end zone on the last uh no i i think that it's going to be Ali again, and uh, it's his game to shine, and yeah. that's not taken away from the first two games at all uh, because, I mean, they basically said our goal is to not allow him to have a single down to where he beats us, and he ended up beating them in both games. Yeah, I'm going to tie my MVP pick to my fourth key to victory, which, yeah. by the way, is Rasheen Ali. And you're right, he hasn't dis- – you can't say that. He's disappointed. He hasn't. But this is my fourth key to victory. Marshall's got to play four solid quarters, right? We've seen two great quarters. We've seen two and a half decent quarters. But we haven't seen four solid quarters. And if you do that, that's when Rasheen Ali gets that 175-yard day. That's when he's pushing that two-bill day, okay? Marshall could come out and run for 300 yards on this Hokies defense. Don't think they can't. I'm not saying they will, but they've allowed more rushing yards 
every game this season, right? 179, then two whatever, then 250 plus to Rutgers. So they're trending in the wrong direction. And now they're running into one of the best running backs in the country, period. So he has the ability and he's poised to have that breakout game, right? The big rushing day. It could have happened against Albany, holding penalty, thwarted a lot of that. We know that. But 30-yard run here, 50-plus yard run there, you know, 13, 14-yard run that you drag seven guys into the end zone. Come on, man. Come on. This is this is gearing up to be a very special day for 22. Give me him as my MVP. What's your score prediction? I got 28 to 10. And, uh, you know, I put that – I had to do that a lot earlier than I wanted to when we had to do that uh, for the blog post that we did. Yeah. Uh, and I came up with that because I think that our defense is going to really stifle them. Mm-hmm. And then I do feel like we're going to pull away. Uh, I think it might be kind of low scoring. I'm really hoping I'm wrong and we hop out to a big lead. But I think uh, we're going to throw a couple of touchdowns on, pull away from them, and they maybe get a, a late touchdown to where it brings it to a respectable 28 to 10 points. But I, I really see us getting up by – three to four touchdowns and and then holding on 28-10. Yeah, that's a solid score prediction, man. I, I, I'm a little gun shy from the um, gifting of points to East Carolina. You know, mm-hmm. that, that scared me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm coupling the fact that they've got a kicker that seems to be able to hit. You yeah. know, he's, he's not shaky. So I'm saying herd 30, Hokies 16 because I'm afraid of a gifted TD, and I'm afraid of a couple of long field goals. Otherwise, I think it's not a real threat. You know, another one of those, the score isn't indicative of the game type of things. But, you know, right before halftime, you get a field goal. Right at the end of the game, it's over or whatever. You're going to try to just make the score look more respectable. You know, could it go the other way? Yeah. Do I feel like it's going to go the other way? No. I think this is Marshall's game to lose. And for everybody that's going to be in our comments saying – these guys got to stay focused. They can't look past Virginia Tech. Okay, we're not players. We can yeah. say whatever the hell we want. We we can look not look past Virginia Tech, but we can be confident. They are focused. They ain't looking by nobody, right? Yeah, and I don't so, I don't think that we are looking by them, even us as commentators on here. Uh, but you know, when Vegas is looking at it, and when ESPN Predictor is looking at it. It's uh, it's there for a reason. You look at these rankings and we go, especially me, I speak for this all the time. I go off of the matchups yeah. and the matchups do not look good uh, versus. Uh, and now, granted, our first two games, we're ranked 124th in rushing, you know, sure. 83 yards a game. But we know what we have. Right. Yeah. Right. And. And th- it's not like they've had three flute games of giving up big yardage rushing they their fans will tell you they are just not good right now at stopping the run yeah so and it, i really don't care if the numbers are where they are for our rushing production i think a lot of people you know might be like you know well we we turned it on when we needed to late we ran away with the game and we did mm-hmm. that in both games you know yeah. as far as running goes sure you didn't do much first half or the first two and a half quarters and then bam you know, but you got to think it's not just Rasheen Ali. We and, and it's not just Ethan Payne. We still have yet to see AJ Turner. We still have yet to see Smoke. And you got to take into account Cam. And you've got to take into account Chuck Montgomery on jet sweeps. Like, there's a lot of ways this herd run game can kill you. It's not yep. just 22, and that's it. 
So I think you'll see a little bit more of those plays open up for the herd, and they try to expose this Hokies defense running from different angles and attacking with different weapons. And I, I certainly hope that Rasheen Ali has a breakout game this season. You know, he's yeah. he's a, he's already broken out, you know, for herd fans, but we need that big production day, that big touchdown day for um you know, just just the nation and just for him, just for him to get that, you know, the 150 plus yard day. Um you got anything else before we take it around the herd? No, let's take it around the herd and let's start with volleyball. They had a great road trip when they went out west. They swept the weekend with wins of three to one over Idaho, three to one over Southern Utah, and three to two over Utah Tech. They will be hosting ODU Thursday and Friday, and that's six p.m. at the CAM both of those days. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. I'm going to try to squeeze in the, uh, some of the volleyball on Friday, Friday. since I'll be in, uh, so I might as well, right? So you might keep a couple of those tickets and uh, give the rest away or something. If if or if you know. Whatever, but I'd like I'd like to go see a little bit of it and uh, have the opportunity to really, like I said, immerse myself in herd athletics. I know we're going to talk about soccer, but volleyball Friday, football and soccer Saturday. Like this is a perfect weekend for a guy like me that gets to come in so sparingly. And like I said, dude, I'm going to immerse myself in it, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. So we've got tennis up next. We've got Thunder in the Mountains against WVU, and that's in Charleston this weekend. Unfortunately, we will not be able to go to that because of everything that we got going on this weekend in Huntington. But we know a lot of people go to that in that Charleston area. A lot of tennis uh, buffs uh, take that in, and that's something they look forward to every year and anytime. I don't care what sport it is. I don't care if it's uh, find the queen, uh, a game of three-card money. I want to beat WVU in everything that we play them in. Yep, I agree. Uh, women's golf, they end up finishing second in the Jennifer Duke Invitational up in Cincinnati. Great showing up there. Uh, on the men's side over here at Guyane in the uh, Figaines uh, Invitational, finished second in that as well. Yeah, so great, great set of tournaments for our golf team. All I'm going to say about that is sell the freaking hats yeah. because – I need a new hat. <laughs> I need a towel. <laughs> but no, great job by the men's and women's golf teams, uh, both finishing second in their tournament. That's awesome, man. I love that now, you know, we're starting to see the the, the turn for a lot of our Olympic sports programs. And uh, I like to use the word expectations. There are expectations for some of these programs now, whereas before for a lot of fans, they were just like, oh, okay, well, we played in a tournament, you know, and we finished 12th cool but no now you're you're starting to see some expectations i hope that we are a part of that i hope we are driving those expectations that people now expect to win golf tournaments they expect to win tennis matches and stuff like that because we know that we have quality athletes and quality coaches pushing these programs forward it's not the same old same anymore so to see these results isn't surprising but it's i want to get it to the point to where it's expected that you have a second place finish a first place finish Week in and week out, tournament in and tournament out. This is great. I love it. On the women's side, I wanted to talk about the individuals. Olivia, and I'm going to say Cochin. I'm sure that's wrong. Uh, Someone please correct me. As someone that hates to have their name butchered, I don't want to butcher anybody else's. I've just never heard it pronounced before. Uh, But she finished the event tied for seventh and uh, ended up uh, with two over 72 uh, to finish eight over for the tournament. Uh, that's after getting off to a, a 
tough start. And um, McClatchy, Emily McClatchy, we've heard from her a lot, and Casey McElvain both finished in the top 20. So three in the top 20 that uh, led the way for us to be able to finish second overall. So I want to talk about uh, one last thing before we move off of golf. Remember last year when they followed, I think it was Katie, uh, they followed around Guyane and played a hole with her, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I would like to see more of that. Sure. I, I, I know football gets a lot of the uh, content creation right now, but just move, when there's when there's a lull in the schedule, when you can fit that in, I would love to personally see more of that because I think that's cool. That draws me as a fan closer to our programs. So I'm just throwing that out there, man. Like walking walking a course or you know talking to those athletes, uh, how they approach a hole or something like that's cool to me, you know. And I would like to do I would like to see stuff like that with swim and dive. I, I would really like to know what goes into the mind of a diver. You know what I mean? And and the tennis team and stuff like that. I would love to see more of that content. That was such a cool thing. So let's make more of that happen if we can. But I'm, I'm backing off of golf now. Well, the, uh, to finish up, to tell you how the men uh, did individually, both Ryan Bilby and Tyler Jones finished tied for fourth. So they led the way. And Tyler Jones specifically got a five under 66 on the final round, which helped them move ahead of Moorhead State and uh, get that runner-up finish. Awesome. All right. So we're moving on over to cross country and we've been talking about this. Got to have a hosting thundering herd invitational for the first time in a long time. Well, the women won overall. The men came in second. Great time to do that at your home, uh, home facility. And uh, I'm looking up the individual stuff here right now, but just the fact that we won overall for the women, one, it's not surprising to me uh, with the athletes that we have, but you just love to see that when you host something and you end up being the uh, best at it. Well, look, while you're looking for that overall stuff, I can tell you right now, Abby Herring won the event and Kylie Maston came in number two and they put out videos of both of them crossing the finish line. Mm -hmm. And I know you're going to give me the times, <laughs> right? but I remember seeing, I was watching the clock in the back of right. the video being put and Abby Herring was like, seems to me like 35 or 40 seconds or something like that. I don't know. Oh, hi. It was a minute and something. I, I, no, I was no, looking. it was 49 seconds yeah. better than. Yeah. So I knew it was something like that. And I was thinking, dang, man, this, this girl just continues to dominate her disciplines. We have got to get her on the show somehow. We have got to do that. Man, but what a great showing for the cross-country women and men at that home event. I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of that coaching staff for, you know, build up, the build-up around this event and then going out and executing some team perfection. That was so awesome, man. I'm so happy for them. The uh, women in winning this, uh, Abby Herring won this 5K with a time of 17 minutes, one second. Uh, Kylie Maston finished second, like you said, at 17 minutes, 50 seconds and they were the only two finishers to break 18 minutes. So yeah. that's how dominant. It was well over a minute other than Kylie that uh, the next pl uh, closest person came to Abby. Yeah. Uh, another planet right now, it seems, what she's on. <laughs> the uh, men placed uh, two in the top ten in the 8K, and that was Evan White uh, finished fourth, and Ronnie Saunders finished eighth. And their times between four and eight were only 15 seconds off of each other in this 8K. 24.47 for Evan and 25.02 for Ronnie Saunders. 
Awesome. Awesome individual showings, awesome team showings. And I'm going to bounce off one thing I was just talking about with golf. They did do some cross country team content on the campus the other day where they had them walking around asking folks if they knew how far a, uh, it was either a, was it a 5k or an 8k, whatever it was. They asked them if they knew like, what's the distance of it. It was so good, man. Like that kind of stuff, just interacting with the student body putting that content out, even speaking to some of the professors there and asking, that's that's gold. That's good stuff, man. You got to love these kids going out and competing and then flipping the script and becoming, you know, content creators in a very meaningful and playful way. You just can't beat that, man. And Marshall's doing a great job of, of getting those Olympic sport athletes in front of a camera so that you can draw closer to those people. That's so good. Some it's of so my favorite good. content from last year, the, the men's basketball team did it the most, I felt like, <laughs> when they were on campus and they were yeah. going around and asking trivia questions and other things. And uh, you get to see those personalities and you just get to see – it makes you feel closer to that team, to those individuals. So yeah, for sure. Uh, baseball we have, and I'm, I'm going to coin the nickname before you can, we got a commit from pitcher Davis, the machine gun yep. over here. And uh, <laughs> gun uh, seems apropos since they said that he touches 92 on his fastball and 77 on his changeup. So yeah. Uh, I think it was his changeup that it, maybe... it's, he's a four pitch pitcher, I think, yeah. and, and the, the the other three range between that seventy six to seventy mile an hour range. Yeah. So uh, Louisville kid, fairly local. It's a good pickup. Big tall guy, six foot four, I think. Yeah. So pitching staffs coming together in, in this recruiting class, or I should say the the pitching recruiting class is coming together. Mm -hmm. um, excellent pickup. I like that. Davis the machine gun i appreciate couldn't be that. couldn't be the smoking gun we've already got one of those and we still yeah. love you sid even though yeah. you're not suiting up for the herd anymore we still uh we, we we won't soon forget about the smoking gun sydney nester um we miss her we're gonna miss her in the circle but maybe we'll be able to touch base with her as uh softball season draws closer and i'd love to do an inside the thunder inside with sid the thunder. Yeah. yeah i really would uh, i really appreciate uh, the relationship that grew with with her and her family you know and and her fiance we got to know him too back at the spring game i'm mm -hmm. uh, really excited for all of them it, it i hope they come back to games you know and and our um staples at the dot again but yeah the machine is pretty good though that's pretty good uh, over on the pitch, women's soccer lost to uh, Louisiana Monroe three to one on Sunday. Heartbreaking loss there as first uh, Sun Belt Conference game this year. Got to get those girls to get back up to where they were. You know, uh, we're killing it out of the gate. Everything. So well, they got they got a red card and had to play a right. uh, player down, and the floodgates kind of opened. You know, sure. I, I think it ULM happens. was 1-0 going into the half, and then they came out, and then the red card happened, and then it was just kind of a flurry. So yeah. um, that's unfortunate, but hopefully we're not playing too many games the remainder of the season a player down, right? Because right. that, just, that just ain't good. We, we'll get, they'll get it back on track. You know, Swan yeah. is, is, is doing a fa fabulous job with this team, and as long as you've got uh, somebody like uh, Alexis Wolgamuth in, in goal, you've got a shot. That, yeah. that's that's the thing as long as you've got a, a really solid keeper you've got a shot in every match so keep the faith this is just a little rough patch bad luck with a red card we'll get it turned around man yeah that's what 
you know, going into Sunbelt Conference, you do it just you want to open up with a win sure, and keep yeah. that, you know, how it's going. So I hope it gets turned around, but they've got a great opportunity to do that on Thursday, 6 p.m. It's at JMU, and that's going to be a big matchup. JMU is always good at women's soccer. Uh, no slouch on the men's side either, but uh, uh, this is going to be a big game for them. So yeah. hopefully we can go down there and turn things around at a great time. Yeah, that's an excellent bounce back opportunity because that will be a kind of a signature sort of win on the resume, a great confidence builder, a great momentum builder. So it's no time like the present to end the skid. You know, let's just go into Harrisonburg and do the damn thing. Men's soccer beat the absolute snot out of Cleveland State. (laughs) I mean, it was five to nothing, but it did not seem anywhere near that close. And I'm sorry, but I mean... Cleveland State was a big game for us last year. We barely beat them two to one, yeah. and they came in and they they were down, and it just was not it was not competitive. Um, it, it was, uh, and I I hate to say that, but it was a bashing, and that's just yeah. how good this team is. Um, it seemed like we coasted uh, five nothing. By the way, we did not have uh, Garcia Pasqual playing. And um, he uh, probably would have made that game even more outrageous. But <laughs> being up five to nothing, and it seemed like we had scored ten goals when we were up five to nothing. Yeah. I mean, it, we had uh, uh, just a dominant performance. So that was Tuesday, and then we go into number nine at the time, JMU at Harrisonburg, and we kind of dominate them. They did get a goal in there, uh, but at the very end, we got what I thought was maybe the worst red card that I'd ever seen, and uh, we ended up still uh, not not allowing them to score uh, after we got that red card and held on to win 3-1 to on another game that seemed like we just dominated a score that is not accurate of the performance that we saw on there. It just seemed like we scored at will when we needed to and that we were really preventing them from moving the ball whatsoever. Yeah, I know it, this, this soccer team, I, people can call it cocky if they want, they're good. And I'm going to celebrate that, man. I'm not going to downplay it. Like, yeah, why would, what, when did we get into a world to where you have to like, not pretend that you're proud of your team when they do well, like being humble is one thing, but like, not paying proper ado to a team that's really good is a whole other thing. Yeah. You know, like they deserve all these accolades. And I can't help it that they're winning games five to nothing and three to nothing. I can't help that. Yeah. Right. And I'm not going to help that. They should go out and win five to nothing every match if they can. Well, and we didn't have our starters playing. You know, we had substituted some players in that didn't get to play as often, you know, or as many sure. minutes and all that. And we were still scoring against Cleveland State. And, you know, um, it that's what I'm saying. It just did not seem anywhere as close as these scores in either of these games. Um, we Matthew Bell seems like he can run around everyone if he needs to. He's ridiculously good at passing and getting the assist to the guys to set them up for a good goal. And oh, by the way, he's a terrific scorer in his own right. Yeah. Um, and Marco has just had a ridiculous year so far. Uh, Garcia Pasqual again didn't play in either one of these games, and we're still winning five to nothing and three to one. Right. And he's third in scoring for us. I mean, it's uh, we're loaded. 
so many teams hope to have one really good score or even two. And Marshall's yeah. got four or five. You know, yeah. I mean, just celebrate the team, man. You know, those guys, those guys are playing quiet, dominant soccer. It would be a whole other argument if they were out there, you know, boasting and, and rubbing it in and all, but yeah. they're not. And also yeah. this coaching staff, like you said, is pulling starters and putting in, you yeah. know, the substitutes and they're still playing at a high level. How can you get mad at that, man? You can't, yeah. you can't ask them to train like elite competitors and then go out and turn that off in the yeah. game. That's not yeah. how it works. And not okay. to mention, we've talked about offense, but Perota looks ridiculously good back there at keeper. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, just yeah, just celebrate you, a man, be happy, and if, move on. If, if you get one goal against this squad, and it, it's not just him, <laughs> you know, it's them getting even getting to shots on goal is, is yeah. difficult. You know, because our defense is so good, but uh, it's it's a great time now. Having said that, we have an absolute huge matchup. We don't know until the rankings come out on Tuesday, later on Tuesday evening, what the actual UCF ranking is going to be. We are confident Marshall will be a unanimous number one, but UCF is probably going to be in the top five. We just don't know where. So we're looking at a top five matchup, 7.15 PM after we have played the Hokies, after we've tailgated, we're going to then be able to go down there and tailgate a little bit for that game and pack the vet and have a huge crowd. Hopefully that crowd energy will feed over onto the field because this is going to be a big, big matchup. Yeah, it certainly is. And let me lend some context to UCF. Most likely, in my opinion, going to land at three. You know, WVU is probably going to land at two because they – uh, played to a draw, and West Virginia is probably going to get the nod for playing to a draw on the road. So if that match is in Morgantown, or you know, of course, if UCF happens to win that one, they would be the number two team, and they might have a legitimate argument if they beat West Virginia to be the number one team. So I feel confident that they're going to land at number three. It's just more impressive to fight to a draw on the road than it is to fight to a draw at home, even though they had to come back, come back to force the draw. So that, in its own right, was impressive. Dude, it's a massive game. A, it's the first time Marshall's going to be ranked number one and play a home match, right? We've never seen that before. I saw that floating around the airwaves. I did not take that into account. This is history in the making. Number one, that's history in the making. Number two, I tweeted out that it should absolutely 100% be a sellout crowd. Can you imagine being able to say, we sold out the Joan, and five hours later, four hours later, we sold out the vet, right? Two amazingly massive accomplishments for the city of Huntington, for the Marshall fan base, and the show of support of our student-athletes. I, I attached the link to buy tickets uh, to that tweet I put out. All that are available are general admission seats and standing room only seats. So all the reserve seats are gone. And I'm thinking if you think you're going to wait until, eh, we'll see if we want to go on Friday, at best you're going to get a standing room only seat. That's it. Uh, I have full faith with 30,000-ish herd fans in town. That place is going to be packed to the gills. To the gills. And it should be. Uh, the environment at the vet is going to be unlike anything we've seen. And we've seen the Mountain State Derby with, with West Virginia in town. We've seen games, you know, other big games. But it's not going to be like this. This has the potential to be a historic environment for the herd. Number one versus number three at home, you got to be there. 
it's 10 bucks. It's five bucks if you just want to go and stand and watch. Five dollars. You got to do it. Show out. Continue to wear your Kelly green throughout the day or your white shirt or whatever you had at the, at the Joan. Get down to the lot. Tailgate. And have a great time. I'm all in on that. This is how I'm closing out my weekend. I am in. All in on that. Uh, by the way, RPI was adjusted today. I just looked it up. And we're number one now in RPI. We're not third in RPI. We're number one in RPI. Legitimate so, best team in the country. Yeah. Number one in RPI. Number one in top drawer, which is widely recognized for their rankings. Yeah. And uh, there's no way that we're not number one in the coaches poll when it comes out. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I'm eating it up. I love it. That's it for me for Around the Herd, unless you've got anything. No, nope. uh, the only thing I'm going to say is, of course, I scheduled the flight yesterday. I'm going to be flying up on Friday to take part in this unbelievably awesome, epic weekend for the Herd. I'll land sometime, you know, right before noon in Huntington. So I'll be around. I'm, apparently, I'm going to have to go buy a new Herd wardrobe, Russ. I ruined all my stuff on the last trip. So... You know, I guess that's there's there's worse things you can spend money on than re-outfitting your herd gear. Um, you know, but hey, if there's any of our coaches that are listening, I'd sure love to rock some of your team apparel and support herd volleyball, herd baseball, herd softball. I'll be doing all that stuff. I'll be glad to do that. Send me a shirt, size large. Hell, I'll come to the facility and pick it up. But otherwise, you're gonna see me at the bookstore trying to outfit a Chester drawers, you're going to see me at Glenn's trying to outfit a Chester drawers, but it's going to be a great weekend. I'm so happy that I get to be there for this one and take part in volleyball, football, and soccer, one to two tailgates, interacting with all those people, Thundercast Live. Man, it's going to be soul cleansing yet again. That's all I got. Take us out of here. Yeah, so whether you see us at the Joan, whether you see us at the Cam, or whether you see us over on the Sea Lot at 6 a.m. Saturday, getting ready to take down the Hokies. Wherever you see us, we're going to be saying, go Herd. Go Herd, it's the Thundercast. We'll see you on Saturday. Be there or be square. Later. <laughs>